Galatians chapter 5. We are continuing with our series, How to Be a Good Christian and Other Religious Nonsense. Almost finished with the series, only two more sermons after today. Uh, We'll be looking at perhaps the most famous section of passage in all the book of Galatians here. Uh, We'll be finishing Galatians chapter 5. The title of this sermon is Gospel and Spirit. Gospel and Spirit. How those two work together to create the full Christian experience and a fruitful Christian experience. Gospel and Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being yours and being able to gather around you, for you, to you. We say together this morning that we're here because of you and we're here for you. We're not here just to get our needs met. We're here to worship and praise you and be transformed more into your image for your glory. We're here because you've called us, Lord, and and we just ask that Jesus, more and more in our hearts, life would become all about you and less about us. Lord, I'm just desperate in my own life for that right now. I, I don't like what I see of myself, and yet you are daily more attractive and beautiful to me. We say together that we want to be more like you by the power of your Holy Spirit and for your glory. And so we ask that, Lord, as we talk about the text that's before us that we'll read in a moment, that you would teach us and instruct us, and Holy Spirit, you would transform us. We ask it together in Jesus' name, amen. We talked about last week the strange thing that, that happens, okay? We're, we've been learning about the gospel and the implications of the gospel in the book of Galatians. And the fact that we've been set free from the burden of the law, been set free from having to uh, relate to God according to merit, demerit, how well we're doing, how poor we're doing. We, we've done away with a good Christian, bad Christian, false dichotomy. We've seen that as not being helpful, but being hurtful in both how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. And we've really been getting set free by the gospel. At least I have as we're going through the book of Galatians. It's like I'm seeing Christianity is, is brand new and discovering the gospel and all its implications for my life. And Paul brought up last week, one of the strange things that happens to the Christian is when we realize that we're free from the burden of the law, we sometimes start to fall into taking license, right? As it pertains to the law, we start to think, well, then I can just do whatever it is I want to do. And I have to admit that that's been an increasing temptation in my life as we've been studying the book of Galatians uh, these last several weeks. I'm I'm more enamored with the gospel than ever before, more in awe of what Christ has done for us. And yet there's been the sense of, well, gosh, if the gospel is really that good, I'm really that accepted, I'm just going to do whatever the heck I want. And, And what that reveals to me is that there is still in me the sin nature, present and at work. You see, I'm saved. I have a brand new nature But the old nature, oddly enough, still exists. And and we know this theologically, and and we should really know this intuitively, that that we're not going to be perfect until we're face-to-face with Jesus. Until then, we're going to struggle with sin, in the the presence of sin, and and the old sin nature, right, that that is susceptible to sin. And and so this creates a real problem because the reality of the Christian life is that we have this new nature given to us by the Spirit of God when we're born again, and yet we still have this old nature. It's not yet fully done away with till we see Christ. 
So we've got the new nature and the old nature, and that means that the Christian life is very much a life of conflict between the spirit of God in us and the new nature and the old nature, the flesh that is susceptible to sin and contrary to God. The Christian life really is a life of conflict. There's really this internal war going on, this this civil war. And we all experience this day to day. In fact, even the Apostle Paul struggled with this in a very profound way. We read from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven. He writes this and says, I don't really understand myself. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I get that. I heard you. You're like, oh, yes. (laughs) I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And, And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Can anybody relate to that feeling? I mean, (laughs) like, like nailed me every single day of my life. Like, I don't understand myself. What a miserable person I am. I wish I didn't do the things that I do. We all struggle with this every single day. Now, if that were the end of the Christian experience, then the Christian experience until death would be a sad one because it would just be defeat after defeat after defeat, disappointment after disappointment. And all we can hope for is death. That when I finally die, then there'll be some, some good things that come on my life. But, but that is not the end of the Christian story. You see, by every indication in scripture, our lives are supposed to be characterized by victory. Grace, yes, when we fail, and we will fail often, but also victory. We do fail a lot, but we should also overcome a lot. Grace, yes, but also victory in the area of sin. So the question for us who have been experiencing, and maybe increasingly so, This battle is, how how do we do that? How do we walk in victory over sin and and the sinful nature? How do we grow in holiness? How do we honor Christ in obedience? And that's a daily struggle and a daily battle. Even though I know I'm forgiven, I struggle with the bad things that I do and I don't want to do them. And what we realize is that the grace is that, excuse me, grace and the gospel that we've been speaking of need the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to create the full and fruitful Christian experience. Grace and the gospel need the power and person of the Holy Spirit for us to have a full and fruitful Christian experience. Now, now the Christian life begins with the gospel and it begins with the Spirit. We believe the gospel and we're regenerated, made brand new by the Holy Spirit. The Christian life begins that way. And then the Christian life is supposed to continue in the gospel and in the spirit. We relate to God according to the gospel that we're accepted because of what Christ has done for us. 
and not because of anything we've done or, or failed to do. So we live according to that gospel truth, but we also live according to the power of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that our Christian life and its very substance of being born again was begun that way, it needs to be lived that way, a radical dependence on the power and person of the Holy Spirit. So look what Paul says in verse 16 of chapter 5 in speaking about this. He says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting with one another so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. So so here's what we learned from those couple of sentences. We learn that for the Christian, the Holy Spirit is to guide us and direct us. We saw that in verse 16 and verse 18. In, in the details, in the minutia, and in the big parts of life, we are to be a people who are characterized by being guided and directed by God's Spirit. Not only that, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, not only that, But it says there in verse 17, the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants to do. The sinful nature wants to do evil. The spirit of God is giving you, Christian, desires for what is good, what is right, honorable before God, consonant with his character and his truth and his revelation. God's spirit is in in you at work, giving you different desires. Can I get a witness? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That you used to desire these things and all of a sudden you're like, I kind of hate those things and I really want to do these right things, these good things, these beautiful things that give life and bring life and cultivate love. I'm I'm not good at it. In fact, I'm still more caught up in these things, but my desire is I want to do good and right before the Lord. That's the spirit of God in you, giving you right desires. So how does this work out? How does the spirit guide us, direct us, and form our desires? A few different ways. The first way is he convicts us or convinces us about what is right and what is wrong. Jesus spoke about this in John 16, verse 18. He said, and when the spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now in that context, he was speaking about the non-believing world and the work of the Holy Spirit to convict them concerning the gospel. But it's not as though when we become Christians, all of a sudden the spirit stops convicting you about right and wrong. No, it's quite the opposite. We're now more sensitive to God's spirit and we give ourselves to that. And there's an increase of the spirit in our lives, helping us discern right from wrong. Now, what's interesting is it's, it's not always easy to figure out what's right, is it? I, I mean, some things are black and white, but, but life isn't always black and white. And there are just instances where, where it's hard to know what to do. You know, I'm looking around this room right now and a lot of young people in the service, a lot of unmarried people. You got, you got a big decision coming your way. Who are you going to marry? E- even before that, who are you going to date? Does God care about that? Flipping yeah, he cares about that. 
And, and so, so is, is God going to guide you and direct you in that? Yeah, God wants to guide you and direct you in that. How's he going to do that? He's going to do that by his spirit. There'll be certain things you could see in the word and you could read it. And, and women do this. Guys don't do this, but women do this. <laughs> women read the word and they're like, oh, I want a guy who's this and that. And, oh, and this and that and this. And they come up with these impossible lists. And guys are like, she's hot and she's alive. I'm good. <laughs> I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's guys. <laughs> Women are better. Guys are bad. Spirit, flesh. <laughs> but, you know, you might be considering a certain guy and, and you need to be asking the Holy Spirit, is it right for me to pursue a relationship with this person? You need the Holy Spirit to tell you that because marriage is for life. Por vida. You, you, you need to hear the Holy Spirit say yes, this person or no, not that person because you don't know what 20 years from now looks like. As Christians, we have this incredible privilege to hear the living God of the universe speak to us. What? Think about your business. You know, you're trying to make decisions about your business and opportunities and don't you, do you think God cares? Yes, he cares about that. He, he wants to speak into that. He wants to say, this is the right thing for you. This is a wrong thing for you. This is a good opportunity, a good investment. This is a bad one. The Holy Spirit was given to us for those sorts of things. Of, of course, big moral issues as well, but also the minutia of our lives because he's a, he's a heavenly father who knows when a sparrow falls from his nest and says, you are much more precious than a sparrow. He cares about your business and your relationships and, and all sorts of stuff like that. A friend of mine at the last service, you know, was, was reflecting on the message with me between services and said that his, you know, we recently had some wind and his neighbor's tree fell over in his yard. And so it'd be easy to say what's right is the neighbor should come and clean up his tree, but the neighbor just didn't want to do it. And so when he heard this, that the Holy Spirit can help us with the stuff, he just prayed and, 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 and the Lord just said, you, you clean up the tree. What was right in that instance was for him to clean up the tree and bless his neighbor and love his neighbor and not make a big deal about it. You see, the Holy Spirit led him in that, just little stuff that, that will have big implications relationally and perhaps even eternally as we endeavor to represent Christ in a fallen world. The second way that the Spirit guides, directs, and forms our desires is leads us into truth, okay? So, so if the Spirit leads us into truth, then he also reveals error. Jesus, again, in John 15 says, when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the father, that is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. And then in John 16, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the spirit guides us into all truth. Here's why this is so important. It's becoming increasingly difficult in our culture to discern truth and error. Corporations and marketing firms spend and invest millions of dollars to blur the distinction. To blur the distinction between truth and error. Hollywood, Hollywood works overtime to gray some of those areas out. Not all of it, but, but some of it. They work overtime to, to blur those distinctions, to, to gray those areas out. So as we are inundated by the messages of culture all day, every day, it becomes increasingly difficult to discern truth from error. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you how this worked in my life recently. We recently went over and 
killed Osama bin Laden. And I saw the images of Americans um, partying in the streets, rejoicing, jumping up and down, you know, drinking, celebrating. And I, I, just, I just started to pray about that. And I said, Lord, is, is, is that the way that I should respond? I understand the evil of Osama bin Laden. I understand justice, I, the horror of that. I, I get that. But, but should I be jumping up and down, celebrating, drinking, partying because this man was, was killed? Should I, should I party? I, it was good. I agree it was good and just, but, but should I party? I felt the spirit of God saying to me, no, that's, the Lord doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, Ezekiel 33. Because that's a tough one, right? And, and that got a lot of debate in America. You know, some were saying, no, it's, don't have a party about that. Yes, it's good. But so for me in my life, how should I respond as Brett Merrick, as, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor? What should I model for my children? Is it, is it celebrating death? For me, I felt like the Spirit said, no, it's, that would be error. That's, that's, not, that's not truth. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. That's how it's worked in my life recently. Further, how the Spirit guides and directs us and forms our desires is in these ways. Um, he teaches and he helps us. John fourteen twenty six. Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. So he teaches us about life and godliness, how to do relationships, Right? And he's our helper. So in things that tempt us or try us, he helps us. He, he is the Holy Spirit, the power for, for fruitful Christian living. Acts chapter one. He's a power that comes upon us to be witnesses of who Christ is. So he helps us, he empowers us, and he teaches us. Another way that he does this is he shows us how to glorify Jesus. Jesus said about him in John sixteen fourteen, he will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit, one of his primary jobs is to glorify Jesus. So in the life of believers, he's always going to be leading us in ways that we could maximally bring glory to Jesus. This is big for our lives. How can I bring glory to Jesus in my life? You know, it might be for you, gosh, I work in a factory. How do I I bring glory to Jesus there? You know, I, I don't have the answer to that, but but you can be asking the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to glorify him? You know, I'm, I'm a retired grandfather. How do, how do I glorify Jesus in that? The Holy Spirit will lead you in that. In my life, I was the heir to the biggest surfboard company in the world. And that seemed like a perfect scenario to me. But the Holy Spirit led me out of that and into ministry that, that for me, not for anybody else, but, but for me, that was gonna bring the most glory to Jesus Christ in and through my life. There's no verse in the Bible that told me to do that. There's not a verse in the Bible that says, give up being the heir to the world's biggest surfboard company and go teach the Bible. There's, there's nothing that says that. I, I had to hear that from the Holy Spirit. See, he cares about your life. He cares about you bringing glory to Christ. You know, as, as parents, we can be asking ourselves, what does it mean to glorify Christ in our parenting? As husbands, as wives, what does it mean to glorify Christ in this relationship? Not just survive marriage, not just get what we need out of it, not just buy houses and cars, but how can we honestly bring glory to Jesus in our marriage relationship? Those are the kind of things we can ask of the Spirit. 
Furthermore, the Spirit reveals to us the will of Christ. John 16, Jesus said, For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So he will reveal to us the will of Jesus. How important is that? That we could discern, hear, know the will of God for our lives. Now, the Spirit's going to speak to us in these ways through the word, the written word, absolutely. But he's also going to speak to us prophetically in our hearts and in our minds. The Spirit of God is going to speak to our spirits. He's never going to contradict the word. It's just not going to do that. The spirit of God is not going to contradict the word of God. But the word of God doesn't talk about every single instance in life. It gives us precepts and principles, but how they're applied through life, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to help us discern right from wrong, truth from error, to teach us and to help us in this instance in life, to show us how to glorify Christ, to reveal to us what the will of Christ is for our lives in this instance for what he wants to do. He'll never contradict the word. You know, I've heard young couples say, you know, a lot, they're having sex, they're not married yet. And they're saying, you know, we know what the word says, but we prayed about it and we just felt like God said it's okay for us. Hey, you laugh at that, but you and I do the same thing, right? Maybe not with premarital sex, but with something else. We feel like, oh, I feel like God's cool with me doing that. But see, if you, if you feel that way, that was not the spirit of God speaking to you. That was your carnal nature. That was your flesh, the desires to do evil. The spirit of God is never going to be contrary to the word of God. So if you think you're being led by the spirit, but it's contrary to the word, you're not. You're being led by the flesh. And there's a conflict going on between the flesh and the spirit. It's a battle. It's sometimes hard to discern. It's sometimes hard to know what to do. And it's sometimes hard to get the victory. So we desperately need the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And because he will show us what is right and what is wrong, truth from error, teach us and help us, show us how to glorify Christ, show us the will of God. Jesus said in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said what the Holy Spirit does is so valuable in your life that it's better that I physically depart than I remain. And the final thing we'll say about the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life is he's the one, according to Galatians chapter four and Romans chapter eight, who causes us to cry out in our spirits, Abba, Father, right, to God. What are the implications of that? Here are the implications of that. The spirit in us causes us to relate to God as beloved and loving children who want to please the Father rather than spoiled children. You see, the person who is under-realized grace and under-appreciates grace acts like a spoiled child. And we all know what spoiled children are like. Some of us were spoiled children. (laughs) We all know what they're like, right? And and some of you are are under-realizing grace, under-appreciating grace, and so you're taking license and you're, you're, you're acting like spoiled children. But the spirit of, I do that, I'm doing that frequently. But the the spirit of God in us causes us to relate to God as beloved and loving children who delight in pleasing the father. Man, that's that's the difference of life right there. That, That is everything. 
from spoiled children to beloved and loving children. This is the sanctifying work of the Spirit in the life of the Christian. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. To sanctify us means to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus. And you can expect that the Spirit is doing this in your life in increasing measure, more and more, that we should be increasingly realizing right from wrong. We should be increasingly realizing what it means to function as beloved and loving children, not spoiled children. Increasingly realizing more of God's will and how to bring glory to Christ in our lives. And so then, if that's the sanctifying work and job of the Holy Spirit, then our job is to pay closer attention to the Holy Spirit. That's the job of the Christian, to pay careful and close attention to the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we do that? Well, that's kind of that like spiritual mystical component of Christianity, right? I mean, it's the Holy Spirit. So how, how do we do that? Well, maybe very practically, here's, here's what we seldom take time to do. We very seldom take time in our lives to stop and say, Spirit of God, what do you think about what I'm doing? And, and what should I do? And how should I think about this situation? How should, how should I feel about what happened to me? What, what do you think, Spirit of God, about, about these opportunities before me, these possibilities? We, we very seldom take that time. We, we usually wait for a crisis point, right? We usually re- wait for a crisis point, like the stuff just hit the fan, and now we're like, Spirit of the living God, I am so listening to you. Speak to me. And that's great. He's here for you during those times, but maybe the stuff would not have hit the fan if we would have stopped more frequently and said, speak into my life, God. I want to hear from you. We have a Bible that tells us that God speaks to his people. Theology tells us that God speaks to his people. So our job is to pay more and careful attention to the Holy Spirit. And what's at stake is tremendous because the Spirit as the text says, is in opposition to the flesh. And the the flesh is gnarly. Look in verse 19. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, crap. (laughs) What does that mean? Because here's the deal. When I look at that list, I'm, I'm all up in that thing. You're not? You giggle? You're not, you're not there? You're awesome? I'm, 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 I'm all up in that thing. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures? No, I don't struggle with any of that ever. Uh, sorcery? Not really, but... <laughs> No. But, 
This is a serious moment. <laughs> but look at these. This, this, is like, this is like my life all the time. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. That's like the stuff of life. Let me tell you again, as I told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Crap. What does that say about everything that we've learned in the book of Galatians? It says what we've been saying all along, that unless your life has been transformed and is on a trajectory of transformation, you are not saved. And when it says, and this is inherent in the tenses of the Greek verbs, when it says anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, it doesn't mean somebody who lapses into those things or struggles with those things. The very fact that you're struggling with those things and fighting against them means that the spirit of God is alive and well in you. But rather, it's if this is the habitual practice of your life. In other words, if the tone and the tenor of your life is anything like this list, a serious problem. And I'll, I'll just be really honest with you guys right now. That, that list is enough like my life that it scares me. Not that I would doubt my salvation per se, but here's what it does in me. It horrifies me because that list is like a mirror of my life. It horrifies me and then causes me to run to Jesus. And in that moment, I know I'm okay because that is biblical repentance, that your sin both horrifies you and causes you to run to Jesus. And the fact that you are running to Jesus when you see these things in your life, that, that, that's, that, that's getting the victory over that battle of the spirit and the flesh. That, that's the reality of Christian life. We're all tempted with and lapse into these things from time to time, but they should not be the tone and the tenor of the Christian life. Now, what I also realize when I look at that list and as we think about the Holy Spirit is this. If I were left to myself, I would degenerate into these things quickly. Left to myself, I, that's, that's who I'd become. The beauty of what Paul is saying in this passage is that we have not been left to ourselves. We have the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is doing something good in the Christian. Verse 22 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, notice that it says the Holy Spirit produces these kind of things. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? Just like that list of sins was not an exhaustive list. This is not an exhaustive list, but, but it's these kind of things that the Spirit does in the life of the Christian. These kind of things. The Spirit produces these things. And 
the short list that Paul gave here, and perhaps this is why he gave this list, has to do with God, others, and self. You think about love, joy, and peace. That, that really has to do with God. What the Spirit of God does in us is causes our first love to be God, our source of joy to be God, and our source of peace to be God. We love God more than anyone or anything else. We get our joy from who Christ is and what he's done for us. And our peace comes from his ruling and reigning over the universe and in our lives rather than circumstances that are thrashing us at the moment. The spirit of God causes us to have that life perspective. So they have to do with God, the first three. The second two kind of have to do with others, patience and kindness. Holy Spirit is working in us that we're patient and kind to people. You know, in my flesh, that sinful nature that still exists, I'm anything but patient and kind. In my sinful nature, I'm anything but patient and kind. But the Holy Spirit in me is working those things. Not, ask my friends, I'm not anywhere near (laughs) where I should be, but the Spirit of God is working in the Christian. And then the last ones are really qualities of self, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit is working in the Christian goodness. Goodness. We, We love what is right and we do what is right. Faithfulness. We're faithful to our spouses, our children, our churches, our communities, our friends, and our God. He's working in us gentleness. I don't know anything about that because I'm not, but it's, he's doing something. Self-control. And there's a biggie. Self-control. Our self-control is completely dependent upon our relationship with the Holy Spirit completely dependent upon our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Left to myself, I will degenerate into the list of the lusts of the flesh like that. Now notice that these are called fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Singular, it's not fruits, it's a fruit. He produces these kind of things in our life, but I want you to get this. It's fruit, not work, okay? These are, these are not things that we're striving to be. These are things the Holy Spirit is making us to be. That is part of the beauty of Christianity. That's why the story doesn't end with defeat. If we were just trying to be these things, it'd just be another story of defeat. But the Spirit is making us to be these things. And so there's victory there. So here's what we've learned about the Spirit in this passage. In verse 16, he guides us. Verse 17, he gives us good desires. Verse 18, he directs us. Verse 22, he produces good things in us. It's a work of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. It's not our own work. And then verse 25, which we haven't read yet, he leads us. Look at verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives. There is no part of your life that the Holy Spirit isn't concerned with and doesn't want to help you with. So he guides us, he gives us good desires, he directs us, produces good things in us, and he leads us. That is why the Christian life, if it is to be victorious, must be one of utter dependence on the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Utter dependence, meaning like this. Here's how that looks in my life. Wake up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I I need your presence in my life. I need your strength in my life. I, I need your strength to overcome evil desires that I have. I, I need your strength to overcome relational unhealthiness that I have. I need your strength to overcome my desire to self-medicate. I need your strength to overcome my desire for self-ambition and glory and fame. 
I desperately need you today to help me live a life that is consistent with Christ and his truth. And, and Jesus never expects us to do any of that without the Holy Spirit. He said, it's a good thing that I'm leaving because if I leave, I'm giving you a helper. He never expects us to do any of that without the Holy Spirit. Once again, we're right back to everything depending on God and not us. Our salvation depends upon God. Our well-being and fruitfulness depends upon God. What we got to do is give ourselves to him, utter dependence upon him. The spirit is our sanctifier and the only one who can subdue our flesh. We can't do it ourselves. He's the only one who can enable us to do what's right. We can't muster it up day in and day out. And he causes true and genuine growth in our lives. Yes, Christ is the one who has set us free, but it is a continued work of the spirit that keeps us free. Not only free, but right. We're called to be free and right. So the gospel and the spirit work in tandem. The gospel ensures our standing before God and our relationship with God. And the spirit ensures our growth and godliness and our fruitful witness in the world. And the way that we really kind of can give ourselves to this right now as we close is seen in verse 24. Last verse we'll read, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Those who belong to Jesus have nailed those sinful desires to the cross. Now, this is different than what's spoken of in Galatians 2.20 or Romans 6.6, 6, where it says we have been, our old nature has been nailed to the cross with Christ. That's something that God did for us, but here's something that we need to do. That, that, that part of us that is contrary to the truth of God, the goodness of God, the work of God, and the glory of God, we need to nail it to the cross. What does that mean? Well, let's think about it. Jesus said in Matthew 16 and in Mark chapter eight, if you want to come after me, you got to pick up your cross and deny yourself. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. In that culture, if someone was carrying a cross, it was understood they were going to go die on it. So Paul here is continuing what Christ said. You want to come after me, pick up your cross. Okay, that's denying yourself. And Paul's saying, here's the completion of it. Nail yourself to it. In other words, that part of you that still exists, that, that part of me that wants to do bad things, that is in a war within me, with the spirit of God in me, nail it to the cross. In effect, kill it. In effect, say to it, you don't get to rule. Enough, enough of you. You rule me for too long. You're not gonna rule my relationships anymore. You're not gonna control and rule my sexuality anymore. You're not gonna rule my business anymore. You're not gonna rule my marriage, my parenting. You don't get to rule anymore. The spirit of God in me and my new nature gets to make the calls. And the fact that Paul uses a picture of a cross here tells us one thing. Anybody that was nailed to a cross in ancient Rome was considered to be a horrific criminal. It wasn't reserved for petty thieves. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. You know what that tells us? Our flesh is more insanely wicked than we ever thought. We toy with it. We flirt with it. We entice it. It might be nailed to the cross, but we're often fingering the nails trying to pull them out to get that old guy down for a good time. Listen to me. 
the fact that the image of the cross is used here says that that part of us that's at war with God in us is insanely wicked and needs to be brutally slaughtered at the cross. So perhaps today you need to do that. You need to just say that that's not going to rule anymore. I am partnering with the spirit of God in my life. And then secondly, you just need to perhaps today ask for the spirit of God to be functioning in fullness in your life. Whatever your theology, your theological phraseology is for that, be filled with the spirit, be, be filled again, baptized in the spirit, have more of the spirit, let the spirit have more of you. Here's the crux of it. Jesus said, you want the Holy Spirit? Ask. Well, sometimes a Christian life and our relationship with God is not merely asking. Sometimes it's seeking and knocking. Sometimes we've got to get on our face and say, God, I need more of your power working in me. My flesh is just way too active. I need your spirit to come and strengthen my new man, my new woman, and bring good fruit out of my life for the glory of God. Lord, help us to do that today. Help us to ask that of you. Help us to long for that. Help us to experience that. We ask the Holy Spirit as we're asking for more of you, that you be poured out in great measure upon us, that there would begin even in this moment a fresh work of transformation. Even now you'd be guiding us and leading us for the decisions of our lives, revealing to us where there's error and wrong things, leading us into truth and right and righteousness. Help us with these things, Lord. I I desperately need more of your spirit working in my life. If you need any help, someone to lay hands on you and pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Prayer team will be up here. You can come and get on your face before the Lord, but he's for real. Let's press into him.